morning. Uh, my name is Travis, and uh, welcome to Resurgence. And uh, how many are from Lacombe? Okay, right on. Well, thanks for having us. How many are from, uh, where else? Uh, Red Deer, uh, uh, Pinoca. You're not from Lacombe, but you're from this area. Okay. How many are from Edmonton? Okay, welcome. How many from Calgary? I know there's some Calgary... Calgarians in the house, I'm sorry about your flames, my condolences, but the Oilers are in the same boat, but um, I just want to thank Pastor Mark, I see Pastor Doug's here, and just thank you uh, for having us, having us here opening up the church, and we're just honored, and we uh, just really appreciate that, so thank you, and um, yeah. So um, some of you might have been coming, okay, so what is resurgence? What am I coming to? And, uh, and uh, you put your hand up, you put your hand up, I see that hand. <laughs> um, and, uh, but uh, yeah, just God, as Diana shared, God four years ago just put it uh, on our heart to, um, what would it look like if we invited God and we invited people into a room and just see what happens? And it seems very simple. Um, and then I said, God, what do you want to call it? And he, I got this word resurgence. And I actually didn't even know what it meant. It just came into my spirit. I'm like, resurgence? Is that even a word? And so I, I looked it up. And it's a renewal, restoration, and use, revival, arising again. And if God just really spoke that God, he wants to do a rising again in, in Edmonton. He wants to do a rising again in Alberta. He wants to do a rising again of his spirit. There, there's been great moves of God in the past. But... I want God to move today. I want God to move in where I live. I want God to move here. I want God to move in this nation, that Canada would arise, that there would be something that would go forth from Canada, that we are called to be people that arise. And I believe that word isn't just for one area. It's for the nation. It's for nations. It's, it's, there's something on that about arise. And, um, and so tonight, as, as I prayed, and just, uh, God, what would you say tonight? I want to share a few thoughts, a few words, and then we're just going to have a time of ministry. Is that, is that okay? Cool. Good. Um, and, and God really put this on my heart is, um, we face problems in life. And we can ignore that, and we can uh, make sugarcoat it, and things are all good, but... The reality is we all face circumstances, we all face storms, we all face problems. Maybe you're here tonight and you're like, yeah, I'm there. And I might look all good on the outside, but there's stuff going on. And that's real life. That's reality. We face things in workplace. We face circumstances at home. It might be sickness. It might be finances. It might be job things. It might be uh, relational things. It, 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 in everything, there, there's problems around us. And I feel like God is saying that, you know, though there are problems and there's a lot of problems represented here tonight, if we were to add them all up, there would be a pretty big list of all the things that we could go, yeah, I'm going through this and I'm going through this. But we serve a God that's real. And in real life, there's a real God. And a real God that, that, that is, does signs, wonders, miracles. A real God that we read in Scripture that is alive. That my Bible says that He didn't die on a cross and stay there, but He arose on the third day. And, and, and there's a God that's alive, and He's well, and he, he wants to show up. And so amidst all the circumstances, there's a real God. And, and I want to look tonight at the journey and life of David. Um, David... 
David was this guy that uh, at the time there was a king, and his name was Saul. And he was the king over Israel, and after a series of events, he disobeys what God calls him to do. Finally, the Lord speaks to Samuel and says this. He says, Because he has rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected him as king. So the Lord sends Samuel out. And he says, Samuel, go and find the next king. Your job, Samuel, is to find the next king of Israel. And he's led to this farm. And he goes out to this farm and, and Jesse has eight sons. And you may know the story. It's in 1 Samuel. And um, so seven sons come with Jesse to meet Samuel. For surely one of them would be the next king. I mean, they had the look of kings. They looked like kings. When you looked at them, you're like, you're the king, man. You, you just got it going on. And it was like all seven of them had that look. Like they were like big, strong guys. They were like perfect for king. Like it was just that they could totally go on the dollar bill. You know, like they could be the iconic king. And Samuel saw one of them and it looked like a perfect fit. He's like, bingo, this was easy, God. And First Samuel 16 reads this. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. One by one, none of them were the one to be anointed. And he went down the line, no, not this one, no, not this one, no, not this one. And I can imagine Samuel gets to the end and it's like, okay, you led me here, I came here, there's seven of them, they all look like it in my eyes, but God, you're saying no. Okay, now what? So he, he takes this risk and he goes, okay, uh, Jesse, do you have any more sons? Like, and Jesse goes, yeah, there is one more. He's still the youngest, but he's tending sheep. So they call him, David, come, come, come. And he comes and all the brothers are like, no, it's not David. There's no way. And as soon as David comes, they set, the Lord tells Samuel to rise and anoint him. He is the one. And Scripture reads that the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power in that moment. And here's David, a man after God's heart, chosen to be the next king. And we, we read how King Saul, if you read First Samuel, how King Saul was elected to be king. Um, when he was crowned, elected to be king, he was crowned shortly after, he, he, after being anointed by Samuel. There was an anointing and King Saul became the king. And, and he was king for many years. And, and, but God was not wanting another King Saul. Um, while Saul was truly the best man that Israel um, had for the time and all of that, there, there, was, there was things where he, he wasn't obeying God. And King, King Saul, you know, he, here's, basically, he was entrusted with a measure of anointing to lead the armies of Israel. But he disobeyed God. He, his, his strength and his character that in, in the private he wasn't winning those victories. So that in the public he couldn't lead. And, and what happened finally is, is God said, okay, we need a new king. King Saul, you did not follow me. You did not obey me. It's time for a new king. And they find David. And so with David, there was, there was a character that needed to be built. And David, though, even, if it was, even though it was prophesied, he was anointed. And I mean, he thought, okay, so King Saul was anointed by Samuel, and he became king like that. And I can imagine David, I mean, he knows the story, he knows who King Saul is, going, okay, I just got anointed. I think I'm king, like, soon, like, really soon. 
Like, bingo, I'm king, you know? And he, I'm sure he's thinking this in his mind, like, I just got anointed to be the next king. Crazy. I mean, God spoke a word over him through Samuel that was pretty huge, pretty amazing, pretty significant for this boy tending sheep gets called and now you're the next king, <laughs> you know? And, and this word's in his heart. And it was his destination. It was where he was going. But the reality is, even though his heart was in the right spot, he was led into years of testing before he became king. It was about 10 to 13 years that he, after Samuel anointed him, that David actually became king. And for 10 to 13 years, David went through seasons of testing, seasons where he had to trust God. And, and we're just going to look at a few tonight. As one reads in 1 Samuel, there was a season between the spoken word, the anointing, and the actualization of the reality that he would be king, become king. And for David, I mean, he thought it would happen right away. Things were progressing well at first. He, he killed a giant with a slingshot. Without any armor, he shows great courage, defeats Goliath, and consequently the Philistines, you know, de- defeated them. He earned favor with King Saul. All of a sudden, he was hanging out in the palace. He was, he was there, and, and people liked him. He becomes best friends with the king's son. I mean, the dream's coming true pretty quick here. Things are happening. It's awesome, you know? He, he marries the king's daughter. Favor grew until, until soon people were singing the song. Saul has killed the thousands, but David has killed the ten thousands. And right then, King Saul got jealous. And King Saul goes, uh-oh, who's this guy in my palace that's like, he's going to take over, uh-oh. And he throws a spear at David, tries to kill him. David chases him, and, and he chases him across the countryside. So what's David do? I mean, he just starts booking it. Like, he's like, I'm out of here. Th- there's are real things that David was going through, yet he's got this dream. He's got this promise. He's got, I'm going to be the king. Yet the previous king is trying to kill me with a spear, and I'm running all over the countryside like a madman, like, hello, God. And I can imagine the the frustration and the thoughts in his mind as he's running for his life, going, ah, this is not what I pictured. Like, I pictured this favor, and all of a sudden, I'm the king, you know? And not happening, God. And um, here he's trying to live at this point. That's it. And at this point, David even has some followers. 1 Samuel 22.2 says, David has... Everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like a dream team to me. I mean, I don't think John Maxwell could even motivate that team. I mean, think about it. Everybody discontented. So I got all the people that hate everybody, don't like things, are unhappy. They got, you know, they're just discontent. They're mad. They're angry about something. I get everybody who's in debt. Okay, great. Thank you. You know, uh, and I got everybody who uh, was in distress. Like, honestly, could there be any worse of a team? And here's the people that David's got following. And, you know, but David took these rejects. He took these people that were like, nobody wanted them. And he was committed to the journey. He knew that there was a word in his heart that God had anointed him. And he knew that, okay, God, I'm willing to follow you, whatever it takes through the process, through the pain of it, through whatever. And he, he, he takes all these problems. He goes, okay, I'm going to train these people. 
And, and he started training and developing. And eventually, he would lead them to take cities uh, that, the, that were against the Lord. That God would say, okay, go take a city. And he trained these like mighty men into like, like, a, like a, basically an advanced elite force. I mean, these guys that were distressed and dead, all this stuff, became this, like, you know, call of duty force. I mean, they went in and they could take cities. They were strong. They, they, they just knew what to do. And one city they took was named Ziklag. Everyone say Ziklag. I, I don't know about you, but that's uh, an interesting name if you had that on your driver's license. Hi, I'm from Ziklag. Like, you know, I mean, it's just Ziklag. So they take this city... And so all the children and the wives were there. They moved everybody there and they're like, okay, Ziklag is going to be our base camp. We're going to make that our home city. We're going to hang out in Ziklag. And David here has been faithful. He's taken the rejects. He's done great things every step of the way, been a man of his word, done a better than good job. And one day he goes out to fight and, and one day a leader in the Philistines, they call him in and says, David, you're reliable. We, we can't find a fault with you. We, 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 we like you, man. And um, you've served well. You have a good resume. You have good character. You have all these things. But some people in our camp aren't comfortable with you. They don't know you. And they don't want you to fight with us. And so what they do is they end up saying, Sorry, man, we're going to have to let you and your guys go. Today you can't fight with us. And... They basically, there was opinions and accusations of others. They accused him. They said, ah, he's not that good of a guy. And so because of that, they, they basically fired him, released him. And here's David and his men that trained, and they're going home, basically fired from a job, fired from the opportunity to serve and to fight, and they're going home. They're discouraged. They're down in spirit. And as they walk towards Ziklag, they see flames, and they see smoke. And they see that the city that is their base camp, where they hung out, is burning. And they come there and um, they find it totally destroyed. The houses are burned, they're torched, everything is stolen, all their wives are gone, all their children are gone. It's just disaster. And can you imagine the thoughts of that? Like here... Their day was already, they got fired, they got released, they, they couldn't fight, and they're walking home, and now, if it could even get any worse than this, their wives are gone, their children are gone, there's, there's just burned everything, it's just somebody came and attacked. And, and, I, and I just can think of the feeling, I mean, have you ever had your house broken into, or been somewhere where somebody's robbed something? There's just that feeling of you've just been wronged. And I can't imagine what David and these men were feeling at this moment. See, sometimes real life can be bad. Just when we thought it, it's bad, it gets even worse. And here's David. 1 Samuel 34, 30 verse 4 says this, David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. See, these men aren't sissy men. These men were men that killed giants. They're, they're guys that were trained to fight. And I can imagine they, had, they, they weeped a lot because they were strong guys. And they weeped until they had no strength left to weep. And I can't imagine the pain and the rejection and, and what they felt at that moment. 
And, and for David, his day didn't even end there. It got even worse after that. He's sitting there and he already was rejected by the king, the Israelites, and now the commanders of the enemies. And, and he's rejected and he's sent home. And as he's sent home, his wives, his kids, everything he owns is taken. Everything he's worked hard to build is taken, is burned, is pillaged. It's, it's gone. And the feelings of being taken advantage of, the feelings of going, okay, God, you promised this. You gave me a word. You spoke something into my life. You had Samuel come and pull me out. And now I'm here and you're taking everything from me. Everything that I had valued, everything is gone. You've trained me, but now, God, it's not looking like it's supposed to look. The word isn't looking like you said it would look. And I can imagine what's going through his mind. And see, he's there and... uh but if it got even worse than that, it did. And you can't imagine, but what the guys start going, you know what, I think we should, um, we should stone David. And First Samuel 30 reads this, Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all people was grieved, every man for his sons and daughters. Can you imagine? Here, these guys he's poured his life into. He, he's trained them. He's, 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 he's given everything. His only kind of family he's got. And now there, after all this had happened, there's talk of, okay, let's get rid of David. <laughs> like, honestly. And, and I just imagine, and he's there, and he's like, okay, now the people, these people that were so disenfranchised, this dream team I poured my life into are turning on me. For years he protected, preserved, cared for them, and now they turn on him. And now with all this happening, David could do a lot. He could just say, okay, stone me. I'm done. <laughs> like, I've, I've, yeah, the word's not true. Great, I'm here. Everything's stolen. You might as well just take my life. Maybe Samuel was wrong about him as king. Um, he could defend himself and his leadership. He could argue. He could do a lot of things. But this is what the Bible says he did. But in the midst of the real life problems, he turned to a real God. Scripture says that, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. See, in the midst of all of this, there's a but. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. But, instead of looking to himself for strength, he looked to God. He looked to God. And I, and I think of, um, I, think of uh, I, I was watching, anyone watch the funeral of Whitney Houston? Anyone watch that funeral? Know a little bit about Whitney? I don't know a lot about Whitney Houston, but there was a song that was sung that she had written. And I was, as I was reading this this morning, I, I was reminded of it. And it's a song called, I Look to You. I want to read the lyrics. As I lay me down, heaven hear me now. I'm lost without a cause after giving it my all. Winter storms have come and darkened my sun. After all I've been through, who on earth can I turn to? I look to you, I look to you. After all my strength is gone, to you I can be strong, I look to you. I look to you when the melodies are gone, in you I hear a song. I look to you. About to lose my breath, there's no more fighting left. Sinking to rise no more, searching for that open door. And every road that I've taken led to my regret. I don't know if I'm going to make it. Nothing to do but lift my head. My leaves are broken. My walls are coming down. My rain is falling. Defeat is calling. I need you to set me free. Take me far away from the battle. I need you. Shine on me. I look to you. 
I look to you. When melodies are gone, in you I have a song. I look to you. And I just think of that as, this is what David did. He has nothing left, nothing in the tank, no, nothing he can rely on in his own personal strength, and he looks to God. And, he, and it says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. His faith gave him courage, and he goes to the guys, he goes, come on guys, we've got our wives and kids to go get. There's some strength that comes upon him that says, okay, come on, we got to go get it back. We're not going to sit here and cry, we're not going to sit here. And he started to rally the guys and go, come on. He, he called them back to the purpose and the vision. Don't lose sight, guys, we got to go back. we got to go find whoever did this, and we're going to get them back. And God gave him the strength to master this distress, to, 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 to look past the offense of rejection and, and rally them together. And they went back and they retrieved their wives and kids and plunder and even more. They got it all back. They, they went and they conquered. And David's personal breakthrough in this moment was his ability to strengthen himself and be faithful to the purpose and not collapse under pressure. But, but not only did he save his life, it enabled him to lead his men to victory. See, the, bat, the battle the Philistines rejected him from fighting in, the one that he couldn't go to that day, they said, don't go, don't fight. He didn't know what was going to happen, but what was actually happening at that battle was King Saul and Jonathan were in that battle, King Saul and his son, and they were actually killed in that very battle. And David was not in that battle. And because of that, David was then anointed very soonly after to be the next king. And if he would have gone to battle, it might have looked very different because he could have been killed and he could have missed the opportunity. But God had kept him back from that. God had used that opportunity to really propel him forward. See, he didn't know what was happening. See, in real life, at the point of utter despair, his darkest moment really led him to the back room of the throne room. It really led him to, to get right to the throne room quicker than he could have done it in his own strength because he strengthened himself in God. And uh, tonight, I just want a, a few points from that story, a few things I believe God is saying to us tonight in Lacombe. Uh, and number one, God uses the unqualified. God uses the unqualified. And, and that's a word tonight for us. See, David is his poster child for God on how he uses the unqualified. Like Samuel comes to anoint the next king of Israel. I mean, they don't even bring him out. He's not even considered in the parents' eyes and the brothers' eyes, but in God's eyes, he sees him, the shepherd boy. And, and we read, the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, it's the heart that qualifies us. It's the heart. See, God, God uses the unqualified. God measures by a different standard than the world. The world mindset says we are weak, unimportant, insignificant, useless, simply because that's the way the world sees us. See, it doesn't, it doesn't see the way God sees us. The world sucks up to the rich, the famous, the powerful. God, on the other hand, is drawn to the humble, the weak, and the unassuming. See, God is drawn to David's who, by logical human standards, are the unlikely choice for king. But that's who God chooses. God chooses people like David. God chooses people that, you know, in selecting the king of Israel, God disregarded experience, rank, sonority, who was the best looking, who maybe had the best university degrees. It wasn't about that. He was looking for the heart. God's looking for the heart. 
The inadequacy by our own means in contrast to those of God's is, is taught throughout the Bible. And one of God's covenant names is El Shaddai, which carries many different meanings, but one is the one who will for you what you cannot do for yourself. This is written in the Bible. It's evident that, that it's easy to forget that the Lord's battles are not won by might, by numbers, nor by human power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. See, the, I, I believe tonight that um, God is saying that, you know, amongst real problems we face, there's a real God. And there's a real God that uses the unqualified, just like David. Those who, 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 what can we do for God, David probably said. What can I do? I'm just a shepherd boy. And that's the people that God uses. You know, I heard a speaker once say this. I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, the only people the Lord uses are those with problems. <laughs> because there's not any other kinds of people. If there are, I don't know them and you wouldn't like them. I thought it was pretty funny. I wrote it down. I was like, that's a good point. Uh, this guy named Norman Vincent Peale, he said, change your thoughts and you'll change your world. And see, sometimes we can even come to the point of view, well, if God wants to do more with me, if God wants to use me, I'm perfectly open. But it's up to Him. And I don't think that's the right mindset. Because when I read the Bible, Jesus' words contradict this passivity. It is, you know, the word is sovereignty on Christ's terms never meant for God to resign. To go, okay, well, if you want to use me, use me. There's something we have to step forward. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. You know, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. You know, then Luke 16, 16 says, since the time that the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is pressing into it. See, one of the greatest promises of God is that the Holy Spirit will pour out on all. Scripture uh, in Psalm 72 says, He shall come down like rain upon the grass before mowing, like shower that water the earth. See, I believe God wants to pour out, but God uses the unqualified. The, the people that, you know, you don't think that God could ever use you, that's who He wants to use. And maybe you've said, how could I be used by God? How could God use me? And maybe my past, my problems, what I've been through, the ways I've dropped it in the past, I've, I've screwed up. <laughs> Today, I believe He's saying it's where it starts. Will, will you go, God, will you use me? God, I, I feel unqualified. I feel like I can't be used. I, I, you know, David, his heart was a worshiper. We read the Psalms. I mean, David was just giving it. It didn't matter. He's out by himself in a pasture and he's just giving it towards the Lord. He's just pressing in. He's contending. He's like, God, I just want to meet with you. See, in the private room, David was there with God. His heart was right. See, it's not about our ability, but I believe God is saying it's about being available. Are, are you are we available? Are we available to God? Not, not what can we do for God, the, the ability. That all comes, but God's looking for the heart. Are we, are we available? Do we hear His voice and follow what He's saying? Hmm. Number two, God strengthens the weak. God strengthens the weak. I believe God wants to speak that into us. God strengthens the weak. And maybe you're here and you feel weak tonight. God wants to strengthen you. 
His presence is here in this place. His power is in this place. I don't believe it's an accident that you're here tonight. I don't believe it's a coincidence that you're here tonight. I believe because God has, has, has ordained it that we be here on this night and April 21st because God wants to do something in every life in this room. The Spirit of God is here. His presence is in this place. I can just feel it. It's just tangible. And in worship, as we're just worshiping and, and just singing how beautiful God is. He wants to strengthen the weak tonight. See, when David, this unqualified shepherd in the eyes of the world, gets anointed by king, the scripture says, and I read this, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. And the spirit of the Lord was with him to give him power that he would need when he would face the giants. Literally. Um, And and he would also give him strength and support. The, the Spirit of God, God was on his side. God is on his team. God is on our team. God is on our side. And, you know, like us today, when we face giants of problems, God is with us. The Spirit of God. The Word says this, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews 13.5 says. You know, in Psalms, David mentioned this. He goes, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, when David finds Ziklag burned, his wife gone, the kids gone, possessions gone, all the security of life gone, you know, when they cry, when there's no more left to cry, these men are just weeping. They want to stone him. There there was something that happened. It's the weakest point of his life. But the Lord strengthened him. But the Lord. I I thank God for the but. (laughs) There's something about the but. You know, but the Lord strengthened him. All this was happening. All these problems were going on. But, but the Lord strengthened him. And I believe God's saying tonight, all stuff may be going on around us, but the Lord strengthened him. But, come on, it's good news. I I, I wouldn't normally say that a but is good news. But a but is good news. (laughs) You know, but the Lord strengthened him. You know, today on this very nice spring day, your spirit may be weak. You may be discouraged. You may be tired. You may feel like you have no energy, no life left. And you're like, I I just, yeah, I give up. But the Spirit of the Lord is here tonight with power. The Spirit of the Lord is in this place. And no matter what you feel, no matter what's going on, but the Lord will strengthen you today. And, and I believe God has sent us to come and just partner with you to say, but the Lord will strengthen you. And the Lord is going to strengthen. And Number three, God flips problems into destiny. God flips problems into destiny. See, problems are inevitable. Life is filled with friction, challenge, circumstance. Every day we experience things. But sometimes we like to think that once you find Jesus, everything's good. Oh yeah, if you find Jesus, all the problems will go away. Um, unfortunately, that's not the case. And um, there's still things. And you know, a guy once said, the way we see the problem is the problem. And the problem can look like a dead end. It can look like a roadblock. It can look like, oh man, the journey's over. Or I believe it could be a stepping stone. It could be something that, that launches. The, the problem could just be the opportunity for God to use and to launch you. The opportunity for God to work in a circumstance that you didn't expect and for something to change. And if we look at David, here's David anointed to be king, but then is not crowned king. 
He then has the opportunity to go fight and go to Israel and take the throne, but they don't allow him to go. And then all the bad stuff goes down at Ziklag. All, I mean, everything's taken. They want to stone him. All that stuff. He could have thrown in a towel. He could have said, I've had enough problems, God. Your promises aren't true. I'm done. I mean, it would have been pretty easy. And they would have stoned him and that would have been the end of David. But little did God know, little did he know God was setting him up. Little did he know by not going to battle that day, God took that problem. God took what David thought was discouragement and I've been fired and they won't let me. Like, what's wrong with me? What did I do wrong? He's thinking all this rejection. And meanwhile, God's setting him up to be the king quicker than he knows. See, God took the problem and made it his destiny. God flipped it. God, it was a stepping stone. See, maybe, maybe you find things around you. Maybe we say that, well, the economy, you know, has been hard and stuff. But, but I believe it might be a setback. But God is saying to us tonight that it's not a setback, the problems around us, but it's actually a setup for our destiny. God wants to set up things. And I believe God wants to give us a perspective tonight that God is, God is doing more than we know right now. Uh, you know, I, I go to the mountains and I love looking at the big trees. You know, they're like 40, 50 feet high, these massive trees. But when you go up on the, uh, you climb up a mountain or you go up on the gondola at Banff or, and, and you go up there and you look down, the trees look like matchsticks. And I remember thinking, wow, those like are massive trees. But look, they look like in like the little cars or like the little like, uh, you know, the little cars I play with as a kid and still play with sometimes. Um, you, know, you know what I mean? And you look down, it's like, wow, why are they so small? And I believe God's saying, you know, we look at our problems and we look at these 40 and we go, God, how can we ever move that? Like, oh, that tree's in the way. I don't know how I'm going to go on. But God's saying, hey, I'm looking at it from my perspective. See it how you see it. That, that, that tree is not, not as big as you think it is. That problem that you face, that, that sickness in your body, that whatever is going on inside your spirit isn't as big as you think it is. And I'm going to use that for my glory. I'm going to turn it around. It's going to be a stepping stone for your destiny. You know, in John 9, there's this story I really love about a blind man. And he's sitting by the side of the road. And first of all, Scripture reads this, that Jesus saw him. Here's a blind man, his whole life had to beg. He's sitting on the side of the road, and he's sitting there, and he's begging and and asking for, hey, somebody, give me some money, I need some food. And he can't see, and here's Jesus comes, and Jesus sees him. When the blind man couldn't see Jesus, Jesus saw him. Sometimes when we don't think anyone can see us, sometimes when you can't even see and the problems you face are all around you, I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that He can see us. That when we can't even see Him, we don't even know where He is at times, we don't know what's going on. Jesus sees us. And Jesus saw this blind man that couldn't even see Him. And and maybe tonight you're here and you're saying, yeah, resurgence, arising again. Um, I'm falling again. <laughs> like, I'm not rising. I'm falling. And I'm falling fast. And uh, in my spirit, I'm crashing. And you don't understand. I believe God says He understands tonight and He sees you. When you don't know what the next step is, He sees you. And, and so Jesus sees this blind guy. And not only does He see him, but the Scripture says in John 9 that He spits in the mud. 
And he takes that mud, and the same mud that the guy's been sitting in for years and years and years, Jesus spits into that mud. And he takes that mud and dirt, and and he actually puts the mud in his eye, and the guy gets healed right there. And here's the mud, the dirt, the things that the guy's been sitting on for years are actually part of his miracle. Little did he know he was sitting on the solution of the miracle. The part of his miracle was in the very dirt he was sitting on. He couldn't even see Jesus. Jesus saw him that day and took the very circumstance he was in and used it as part of his miracle. And I believe that God is saying He wants to take some of the dirt. He wants to take the problems around us and make them stepping stones. He wants to take the things and switch it. And I believe God is saying that even over this region, there's things where God's switching. God's taking problems. God's turning them into stepping stones. Because that's what God does. You know, we all face journey and, and problems. And I remember when I was in high school, I... um. I was involved in ministry, and I, I thought, God, you're going to call me to full-time ministry. It's awesome. And, and I, I prayed about it, and, and, and the more I prayed, I felt God call me to enroll in engineering. And I go, okay, God, I'm going to be an engineer, but I feel called to full-time ministry. That doesn't make sense. I shared it with my pastor, uh, one of my pastors, and he said, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> I know doesn't make sense to me either. So you're called to ministry, but you're going to go into engineering. Okay. So I gave it to God. I said, God, if, if that's what you want me to do, then I'm going to pick the hardest type of engineering possible, and I'm going to put a fleece out there and say, if that's your will, you need to get me in. Yet my marks aren't even good enough to be in that level of engineering. And so I picked computer engineering, figuring that's really hard, and God, I won't get in. And so then I could go do what I want to do. Well, I got in. <laughs> to my shock. But I felt that God was leading me in that way. And so I got in that. And many times through that process, being at the U of A, I remember being in the Central Academic Cab Building and I was there and I would, I would call my friend who was doing ministry and we'd dream about ministry and stuff. Yet I'm doing calculus. Yet I'm doing chemical equations, differential equations. I'm doing all these engineering things. And I remember so many times going... Oh God, why am I here? Like, I don't get it. I just, God, I, my heart's not here, but you've given me the ability to do this. But, and so I would be late nights. And I remember I was even around the table one night with a bunch of engineering friends and, and they knew I went to church, but I wasn't too vocal with them about, um, yeah, I wasn't ever witnessing to them vocally at that time. And just, they kind of knew that I had a passion for church. Other than that, I've never told them anything else. And the one guy goes, Hey, where, where is everybody going to be in a, like five years? And the one guy, not a believer, went around the table and goes, you know, you're going to be working for Shell up in Fort McMurray to this one guy. And he goes around the table and he gets to me and I said, so where do you see me in five years? You won't be an engineer. Oh, really? Well, what will I be doing? He goes, you'll be doing some church stuff. You like your church stuff. And I said, That's, are you prophetic? Like, I don't think you even know that, you know? Like, it was pretty wild. But... But through those times, and I remember being on the, on the steps of my house upstairs, just crying out to God, saying, God, I don't get it. I don't get what you're doing. I don't get the plan. I don't, I don't get it. Because you call me one way, and then I'm in this other thing, and it doesn't make sense. 
And I remember yelling at the top of my lungs, God, I'm desperate for you for about four hours straight till I had no voice left. Just, just bawling and going, God, like, I don't get it. I don't want to do another equation. I, I, I just want you. And I, I, what am I doing? Yet there's dreams over my life, but they don't line up. And, and I remember going through this and, and, you know, in those desperate times, it, it was there that, you know, God would meet me and just encourage me. And yet, I was still, you know, you just keep going. Okay, God, I'll, just, I'll keep trusting you through this. And little did I know, God was developing me. God was, God was building my character. God was doing things that I didn't understand at the time. And, and so, I finished engineering and and uh, my friend and I were dreaming about, okay, we're going to launch a ministry. I'm going to do like ministry full time and all this. Within two months before I was to graduate, I had this big plan. We were going to do high school assemblies across the nation. And we, had, we already did a bunch of them. And stuff was really like rocking. Within two months before I graduate, uh, my friend felt the call to move to another city. And we felt to like shut the ministry down at that point. <laughs> it's like, okay, God. I had this plan, uh, this is what I'm going to do. I like got through schooling, thinking I'm going to do this, and now that's like gone. <laughs> now what? Like, just I remember just going, are you serious? Like, yet I, I knew it was what my friend was supposed to do. It was, it, was, it was God, but yet I didn't really like what I was hearing. You ever been like that? You're just like, ah. And I remember just going, okay, God, I just give it to you. And so then I, I worked as an engineer. And I, at 23 years old, I had an opportunity to be a vice president of a company. I was working up the corporate ladder and, and all that. But then God was saying, no, I haven't called you here. And uh, I remember that time where I struggled going, okay, um, I need to quit. And my boss was a Christian at the time. And he said, you're an idiot if you quit this job. Like, you have to give your company truck, your benefit, you're an idiot. I'm a Christian, I hear from God, you're an idiot if you quit this job. (laughs) And that was hard, because I was like, you're a Christian, you hear from God, I hear from God, they're not saying the same thing. And what am I supposed to do? And I went through this season of like, okay, I'm on this journey, and yeah, God, I want to just do what you want me to do. And, And I got to the very point where I just said, no, I need to trust what I hear. I need to trust God, and I don't get it. I'm just going to quit, and i got nothing to go to. I'm quitting. And I remember resigned, and he called me an idiot when I resigned, and, and uh, added it in, and I thought, yeah, you know, we have got a cell phone because I, I need to get a vehicle now, like all these things that I had. And everyone's like, okay, so what are you going to do? Mm, no clue. So I ended up enrolling in Bible college and, and God opened some doors to be involved in a, in a youth ministry, YC. I get to work now with YC, an extreme dream, and some amazing opportunities. And then God put on, the, on my heart resurgence and what he was doing. And so, yeah, God opened doors that I could never have dreamed of. But yet, through the process, I was ready to give up. I was ready to go, what? God, how can you, how can you take these circumstances and make them like crazy good like it doesn't make sense but he does and and i just feel like god wants us to to just be reminded tonight that you know he flips problems into destiny that he strengthens the weak and he uses the unqualified and uh guys if you could come ben and the team and i just uh so appreciate ben and 
Um, the first resurgence, as Diana said, Ben was there with Michael, and uh, it's just so good to be here, and um, to be here with Ben, and uh, I believe it's significant. Um, there once was a story I want to tell you about a man that was, um, he was an international chess champion, and he was walking through the museum with a friend, and he came to a particular picture that caught his eye, and he stopped and he looked at it, and his friend said, and he said to his friend, he goes, there's something wrong with this picture. And his friend, you know, the man, the man continued to study and ponder this picture. His friend's like, okay, dude, like, there's a lot of pictures in this art gallery to get through. Like, let's keep rocking, you know? And, but he's like, no, I want to look at this picture. There's something wrong. And, and the man was there and he scratched his head and, 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 and he, he's looking at this picture and he's like, there's something wrong with this picture. And because the picture was this scene of these two men, And on this picture was two men. They were sitting opposite sides of a table. And in the midst of the table, there was a chessboard. And the title of the the picture was Checkmate. And it was a picture of two men sitting at opposite sides of a table. One obviously portrayed the devil. And the other was a bewildered, perplexed man. The picture suggested that the game was over. In chess, checkmate means game is over. And it was because there were no moves left on the board. And this international chess champion who knew the game of chess very well, he was intrigued by this picture. I mean, he studied it for, I mean, it it went on. Time was ticking. Now the guy's like frustrated. And he's looking and he's like, starts like, like with his hands looking at the moves and figuring out what moves were made. And I mean, he probably knew that, you know, like C2 to B, you know, all those things. And he's like looking at all the moves ponds and everything and and the king was there and he's looking and and he said to his friend there's something wrong with this picture because I'm an international chess champion and I've studied this board something is wrong and he began to look at the board and the picture and, and he said this I figured it out I got it I know what's wrong and we must contact the man who made this painting there's an error. He cannot call this painting Checkmate because he's got to change the name or he's got to change what's going on on the board because it's named Checkmate. And that does not accurately describe this photo. And it suggests that the game is over. But the game isn't over in this picture. The king chess piece still has one more move. And he said the king chess piece still has one more move in this photo. And I believe that the game is not over because a king still has one more move. And I believe God wants to speak that into our spirit tonight. The king still has one more move. See, the game seemed over at Ziklag to David. I mean, when he lost everything and he was just about to be stoned, the game looked over for a blind man who had to beg for everything he had. And and from his birth, he sat on the side of the road. You know, the game looked over for Jesus when he was nailed to the cross 2,000 years ago. And those nails pounded into his flesh and and people ridiculed him as they, they go, oh, if you're the king of Jews, get up, say, yourself. The game looked over. You know, 2008, the girl named Hazel came to a resurgence gathering diagnosed with leukemia. The game looked over. She was 26, 28 years old. Diagnosed, confirmed three times she had a disease, leukemia, in her body. The game was over. She felt like a checkmate with no more moves left. And maybe tonight you feel you're in a checkmate position. 
Maybe you feel tonight in your spirit. Maybe you feel tonight in your life. Maybe you've been laid off. Maybe there are things going on in relationships, in your marriage, your finances. Maybe there's sickness in your body or your family. Or maybe someone close to you has passed away or died. Maybe there's there's heartache and there's grief and there's rejection and there's all this going on. And there's so many problems that we face. Maybe the dream that God's put in your heart, the things He's spoken haven't come to pass. And you go, I I don't know if it's going to come to pass. God, you've said these things, but I feel like it's over. (laughs) I've been there. (laughs) I feel like it's over. Even this week, I I remember just going to God on, on Monday and Tuesday, going, God, I'm just contending for the things you've spoken in my life. God, you've spoken things that haven't come to pass. And, and I just, God, where, where are they? Where are they? Like, hello. And there's just frustration. And there's just like, okay, God. And maybe you feel like that. Maybe there's doubt. Maybe all that. But I believe that God wants us to know tonight. God wants us to tell us tonight that because he ordained it for us to be here tonight, for you to be here tonight, uh, for Ben to be here tonight, for the church to be available tonight. God ordained this night because the King still has one more move. And I believe God wants to speak it in every life here tonight that the King still has one more move. That, that it's not over. The game isn't over. And, you know, in the story of David, God turned it all around. He took the throne and got all the possessions and more back. You know, in the story of the blind man, the king took the mud of the circumstance and turned it into the breakthrough. You know, for Hazel, she came to resurgence. Uh, Somebody called out, there's someone here with cancer tonight. She responded, felt heat all over her body, went to her doctor, confirmed it, that she was healed of leukemia. Yeah, come on. See... The king still has one more move. And Jesus, nailed to the cross, it was all over. But three days later, the king arose. Because the king still has one more move. And it doesn't matter how life tries to dislodge us. It doesn't matter how struggles try to pull you away from God. How your faith begins to weaken. Because God always has the last move. And the king still has one more move. It doesn't matter what the stock market does. It doesn't matter what happens in the economy or what happens around us. Because God is saying to us, there's life, there's healing. And amongst the problems we face, there's a real God. And I believe we're here tonight to, to, to say, to speak faith. To say, you know what, your level of faith may be here, but God wants to take it higher. God wants to expand our faith. God wants to say to Canada, to this region, Arise! 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 That there be faith that would arise to believe for the impossible. See, the story of resurgence is there's a rising again. Jesus rose on the third day, and the very resurrected power of Christ lives in us. And He lives in you. And God wants everything inside of you to arise. Everything. And so I just speak to every spirit here tonight that God is saying, Arise. He's saying, Arise. And, um, you know, the eyes of the Lord are searching to and fro. And I believe He's looking for someone who will stand on His word and say, Lord, I believe in you. 
Come hell or high water, I believe in you. You know, I may be in Ziklag right now with everything burned, but I'm believing in you. I'm standing on your word. I'm standing on the promises you've given because it's arise, arise, arise. See, my, your body may be in pain. You may be hopeless. It might be, you might have lost someone. You may be in grief, but there's a word, arise. Yeah. And I believe God's just saying, it's time to get up. It's time to see from the perspective God sees. You know, sometimes we can listen to the doctor. Sometimes we can listen to the accountant. Sometimes we can listen to the lawyer. But God is saying, will you listen to me? Because I'm saying arise. The problems that you're in aren't, aren't the real problems. I, I, want, I want to turn those around. I want to change things. As I prepared for tonight, I believe that uh, God put the scripture, Isaiah 60, on my heart. Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Let me read that part again. Maybe you didn't get it. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you, and His glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons and daughters come from afar, and your daughters are carried on the hip. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth and the seas will be brought to you. To you, riches of the nations will come. Herd of the camels will cover your land. Young camels of Midian, of Ephah, all from Sheba will come, bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. See, why does God say arise? Because they're not up. He's saying, get up, arise. See, the people didn't understand what happened to them. It doesn't say, arise and reflect God. It doesn't say, arise and reflect what God's doing. He's saying, arise and shine. See, when you are touched by God, you become the light. The very resurrected power of God lives in us. That doesn't mean we're God. But it means that we carry the glory of God. We're to be carriers of His glory. We're to be people that carry the light of God. And, and when, we, when we're down, God's saying, Will you rise and shine for who I've made you to be? Because I've given you His glory. I've called you to shine. See, we're a living example of what Jesus is. And, and that's why John 4, that you know, when we take a drink of the river, we become the river of God. It's a weird concept that we can, we can drink in, but then we can also flow out of what God's doing. You see, Jesus changes who we are and His capacity to function in this world. See, I believe God's saying we need to stop laying there waiting for something to happen. Because if we get up, we're able to shine. And if we take the right posture, we will see and shine among us. See, God's glory has risen upon you. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory. See, we were made to live in the glory. We were made to be carriers of His glory. And, you know, if you get up and let what's in you out, see, the kingdom is within us. 
The very resurrected power of Christ lives in us. And we can take the place we're supposed to We can't take the place we're supposed to be by sitting down. But God calls us to arise. God calls us to shine. And, you know, don't wait until you can act. You know, thick darkness is all over the earth. He wants us to shine in the midst of the darkness. Uh, when you go and you look at, at jewelry and diamonds, they don't show you diamonds um, on a white table. They show diamonds on a black cloth. Why? Because you can see the radiance of the light as it hits that diamond. And I believe that the light in us is supposed to be in the darkness. We're supposed to be people in the darkness that shine God's light so they can see His radiant. They can see the radiant of Jesus. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Jesus. It says, Nations come to the light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. What is dawn? It's the daybreak. The brightness of you rising. It's that that first moment when daylight comes and nations will come. See, the glory of God will, will be seen upon us. Nations will see the light. Jesus is the desire of the nations and the kings will come. See, when we, when we arise, there's favor that comes. Because we, we, we're shining on the glory of God is all around us. Hmm. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you here. We welcome you. We thank you you're here. But God, we just we welcome even a greater manifestation of your glory tonight. God, we just... We just... Yeah. Ah. We thank you that your presence is here before we could even think of this night, that you ordained this night. God, I thank you that there's more. God, that we can't be satisfied where we're at, but where you're calling us to the deep end of the pool. You're calling us to not be comfortable with standing in the shallow end, but to go deeper than we've ever gone, to be fully immersed, to be fully surrendered, to fully give in and go, okay, God, I don't understand it, but I'm in, and I'm going deeper than I've ever been. Jesus, Jesus. As I've been sharing tonight, and you have heard the word of the Lord, and you're here tonight and you go, Travis, you've been sharing, but I can honestly tell you that I don't know tonight if I know Jesus, if I know him as my personal Lord and Savior. And if everything were to end tonight as you have kind of shared, and it would all end someday, and the world would be over. I don't know where I would go. I don't know that I know that I know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And as you've shared tonight, Travis, I I just feel God's doing something. And I, I need to change. And so if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says that... For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not die, but have eternal life. And if that's you tonight, and you go, I I need Jesus tonight. I just want you to raise your hand, and I just, everybody close their eyes, no one looking around. And if that's you, and you go, "I, I need to respond to the call, I just need Jesus tonight. 
that's you, just raise your hand. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Anyone else? We're just going to wait a few more minutes. See those hands. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Just going to wait. Anyone else? No one looking around. But if that's you and you just need to respond. tonight and you uh, as I as I spoke you just um, there's problems you're facing circumstances and and uh, you just need a breakthrough tonight you need God to come and maybe it's a sickness in your body maybe it's whatever as I spoke you're just your heart is resonating because you just you need a breakthrough and you're going through it. And and I just believe God wants to raise our ceiling of faith tonight. As I was in the upper room uh, praying tonight, I felt like God really spoke a picture of a canopy. And I saw this canopy where it's, it's really low and the headroom is really low. And, you know, if you go through an overpass and, and it's too low and you have a high truck, it's going to hit and it's going to blow the truck apart and we've probably seen it on the side of the road those guys that you know go through and rips their truck off or whatever and I just had this picture of sometimes our canopies are so low or we're going to hit our head and I believe that we can make a canopy we can put ourselves in a box where we put a ceiling to what God can do we've put we put God in okay God you can do this but we, we can't you believe for any more than that And it may be the canopy because of our own thoughts, our own growing up, our own just experience where we've said, oh, God can't do more than this. Or it could just be circumstances where the enemy has said, your God is only this big. But I want to ask you tonight, how big do you see God? I mean, we know that God is great, but I want to ask you, how big is your God? How big is your view of Him? I mean... God is massive. God created this world. God wants to raise the canopy and how we see Him and say, the headroom is much bigger than you think. I can do much more than you can think, much more than you can even comprehend. And I believe God wants to speak that in the people tonight and say, let faith arise. Maybe you've been burned before. Maybe you've, you've, you've believed for things and they haven't happened, but you don't let your experience change what the word of God says because the word of God says that we believe that we pray and we pray for healing and then we pray for all and we continue to pray and we don't go oh well I prayed for that guy in 1970 and he wasn't healed so I guess God doesn't heal nah the enemy would like us to think that but God's saying let our faith let our let our let our view of him expand and so tonight if you're here and you just need a 
breakthrough. You need a healing in your body. You need, maybe it's a dream you're contending for. Maybe it's something and you're just going, I need to respond tonight. I want something to change. I'm stepping into God tonight. I'm coming to that moment that I need, but the Lord strengthened him. And I believe there's a but moment here tonight. So if that's you and you just need the Lord to strengthen you in some area, I'm just going to invite you to just just come and stand around this altar. We're just going to cram in. Just come. Just come as I'm speaking even right now. And just respond. Because God wants to strengthen you tonight. God wants to, to heal you tonight. God wants to set you free tonight. God wants to speak life where there's been death. So Holy Spirit, we just invite your presence here. And God, we thank you for every healing that will happen, for every dream that will be stirred again, for every, uh, oh God, for every just breakthrough that needs to happen relationally, for every uh, disease, we we break off every disease, we break off every uh, sickness in this place, and we say you have no authority. Father, where there's grief and there's rejection and there's things, we just break that off in Jesus' name. And we speak life and healing and wholeness tonight. Yeah, so if you're standing at the altar, just press into God. He's here. And if you haven't responded, just come. Just come and respond. As I was sharing the word about expanding the canopy, I just, I really feel that's a word for this region. And um, God wants to expand the canopy here in this region and, and, and what he's going to do. And, and Josh just got this word uh, from Isaiah 54. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For the, you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will, you will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach. And, and for your maker is here. Yeah, the Lord will call you back. Yeah, thank you, Lord.